I'm Mitch McCracken, and my guest on my first podcast is my lifelong friend and radio icon, the man who has been called the ambassador of Memphis music, Mr. George Klein. Now, GK passed away in February of 2019. I interviewed him a couple of years before that. Here's part of that conversation on Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History, Told from the inside. Okay, Miss, let's roll, baby. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about your radio career. You started in uh, in Osceola, Arkansas, right? Well, that was my first real radio job. But uh, Mitch, I was like everybody else, wanting to get on on the air, and I was hanging around stations and doing anything I could. And I'd, whenever I could meet a jock, I'd meet him and talk to him, and I was doing odd stuff and <clears throat> nothing heavy. And then. Uh, I got that gig at HBQ with uh, Bing Dre Phillips' uh, sidekick. Uh, HBQ had just received their license from the FCC to do television. And it was Channel 13, and so they went on the air. And they brought they set up World Quick Studios in the Chuska Hotel ballroom, and they needed the guy, Bob Lewis, who was Dewey's sidekick. Uh, he, he moved across the hall to TV and eventually ended up as program director for television. Real sharp guy. And so then they needed somebody to replace Bob, so they asked me. It was, uh, it was Dick Covington who went on to uh, Boston as a heavyweight jock. Anyway, Dick, I said, "GK, we need somebody. We know that you're you're doing, you're helping, you know, you're helping out with the baseball. The baseball game would go off about nine o'clock, and that's about time Dewey would come on." So Dick Covington, the PD, said, "Hey, GK, what do you do when you get off?" I said, well, nothing. I go home. He said, wait a minute. He said, we need somebody to babysit Dewey because Dewey, doesn't, you know, he can tear up a studio. And, and I did that for almost a couple of years with Dewey. I was still going to Memphis State at the time. I was approaching my senior year. And so I knew that this ain't going to work. I've got to get some really formal training and some actual experience if I'm ever going to do this job. I just can't get step right into a a show on the air at HBQ, you know, media market station without no experience. So I sent out about every, like everybody else did back in the old days. You make a little, uh, those little quarter inch tapes uh, that maybe it was five minutes in the reel in the box, you know. Uh-huh. And I met air checks and, and a resume, and I mailed them to all the radio stations in the Mid South, about 20 of them. One guy called me from Osceola, Arkansas, and he said, Hey, man, I got your air check. He said, uh, Can you come over here and, and do an interview with me, possible employment? And I said, okay. I said, but man, I don't have a car. He said, well, there's a Greyhound bus that drops you right from the station. <laughs> and it was. But that's how bad I wanted it, Mitch, just like you. I wanted it really bad. Mm-hmm. So, man, I'd go up there. I'd get on a Greyhound bus, and I'd drive, and I rode it to Forest, I mean, Osceola, Arkansas. And the bus came to a stop. And I said, let me off, man. He said, I, I said, this is where I'm going. So I went in there and interviewed with a guy, and he hired me. going to pay me $50 a week. And then I... Uh, <laughs> The radio station had me a room in a rooming house, and the rooming house was only about two blocks from the station. And so I lived there, and I'd eat at one of the restaurants and wasn't too far from the station. And uh, then on the weekends, uh, I didn't have a car, so <clears throat> I'd get out on the highway and hitchhike home, man. The middle of July, second week in July, I was coming. I did this routine, and you've heard the story. And so the guys dropped me off, and I went to see Dewey, <clears throat> and he said, called everybody, Mother, hey, Mother, come on to hear something. This is before he went on the air that night. I said, what? He put the record on a turntable, Mitch, and held his hand over the label so I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And he said, who is that singing? 
I said, man, I don't know. He said, you shouldn't know you went to high school with him. I said, wait a minute. The only guy in high school you sang was Elvis Presley. He said, that's Elvis. I said, you mean Elvis got a record out? He said, yeah, man. Sam brought it up with me last night. I interviewed Elvis. He said, tell you hello. He said, I played it seven times. I think he's got a smash. And I said, really, doing? He said, yes. Yeah. The kid's got something, man. So at the end of that summer, I said, shit, I got to get out of this wholesale thing, and I can't blow my college degree because I'm going, I've only got two semesters left, and I got to go get that, you know. So I came back to Memphis and uh, <clears throat> was going to go to summer school this that year so i could knock out i went to both semesters of summer school and took the max of hours and got out of college in three and a half years so in the meantime i went once again went to all the radio stations and uh i said i ain't gonna be a gopher for doing it i'll hang out with him but i got to get some experience so that summer in Osceola, mitch you've worked in a small town hadn't you oh yeah well you know you do everything <clears throat> you pull a copy off the machine you read a copy you type uh commercials you uh read your own commercials uh you uh, get the music, program the music, and and you just do everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so I, I was learning how to do everything. So when I came back uh, at that time. The station was called KWEM. It's called KWAM now. <laughs> Went by there, <clears throat> and the guy said, uh, "He said, yeah, man, I said all I got is a Saturday and Sunday job." I said, "Okay." He said, I, I, "He said, well, we only pay someone." So I said, "Man, I ain't worried about money. I want to experience." He said, "I think he paid me like." For two days, $50, you know. Mm-hmm. And all I was making in OCL was $50 a week, you know. Right. So anyway, it just so happened, Johnny didn't have a, he wasn't with a label at that time. He was a, he was a appliance salesman. Now, I only found out later, I didn't know it, that he had somebody taping that or recording it. And that's what he used when he opened an audition for Sam Phillips. He said, uh, here's the tape. I'm on KWAM on Saturday. Well, Sam knew the deal. <clears throat> you had to buy your own time. And he said, well, you don't have a record deal? He said, no. So Johnny would come in, and later on, many years, Johnny and I laughed about it. Well, now, let me ask you, George, when you, when you did that show, did you do it on Broadway or Flickr Street? Flickr. Flickr. Okay. Okay. I was on Flickr. I never I never worked in the Broadway studios. So uh, I get a letter from Bill Grumbles. I made a call from Bill Grumbles. Grumbles, when I was Dewey's gopher, he was general manager of WHBQ Radio and part TV or something. So... <clears throat> Mr. Grumbles knew who I was, and he called me, and he said, G.K., he said, Bill Grumbles. I said, hey, Mr. Grumbles. He said, what time do you get off there? I said, I get off at 9. He said, what are you doing at lunchtime? I said, nothing. He said, let's have lunch. And so I said, okay. By this time, Mitch, he had gone to WMC uh-huh. to be general manager of radio there, of their stations. And he said, G.K., he said, how's that little show going for you over there? And I said, Mr. Grumbles, I don't know. I said, but I'm getting about 75 letters a day. He said, 75 letters a day? I said, yes, sir. He said, have you seen the ratings? I said, seen the ratings? I said, Mr. Crumbles, they can't they can't subscribe to the ratings. They don't have the budget to subscribe to the ratings. <laughs> we haven't seen no ratings over there. He said, well, look at this. He said, did you know that you're number two in the market in the morning? I said, what? I'm number two <laughs> at all these great jocks in the morning in Memphis radio. And he said, yeah, but the jocks in Memphis radio in the morning or middle-of-the-road jocks. And he said, you're the, you're the only one playing the music that the young people want. And he said, and, he, and he's a pretty sharp guy. He said, George, I think something is happening with this rock. You know, and it's going to be big. He said, I want you to be right on the edge of it, or forerunner. I said, well, what are you talking about, Mr. Grumbles? He said, he said, I'm going to hire you if you want to come. And I'm and over there, when, at, at MC that time, 
Jack uh, John Fulham was on the air. He had some great voices. Jack Eaton was a jock over there. Uh-huh. He wasn't a news guy. He was a jock. Yeah, he'd come in from Georgia somewhere, and had some really good voices on the air. So he said, "I want to put you on the air in the afternoon on WMC." He said, "I got some ideas." He said, "We're going to call it the George Klein uh, Rock and Roll Ballroom." And he said, we're going to promote you. We're going to put billboards up. We're going to put bus cards out. we got a TV station. We can run spots on you on that. He said, you know, we're owned by a commercial appeal. He says, I want to get you a story in a big picture. <clears throat> and I said, wow, Mr. Crumbles. He said, yeah, we're going to see what happens. Well, Mitch, I went down the air. And that's where that famous picture of me and Elvis was made. And Stan Torgerson had come over to be program director because he'd worked for Mr. Grumbles at HBQ doing sports and Mr. Grumbles hired him as program director. So he called me in. I'd worked with him recreating those ball games. I'll never forget what he said to me. He called me and he said, GK, sit down. I said, yeah, what's up, Stan? He said, you know, this is going to really be tough for me. He's going to hurt me more than you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, uh, man, we'll have to let you go. I said, let me go? We're talking about I got great ratings. I got big numbers. I said, I'm hot. I'm the number one jock in the afternoon now. He said, I know what he said, but he said, we think this this rock and roll stuff, we think it's a fad. We think it's like Calypso and Mambo and Tango. And and, and he said, <laughs> we think it's just a fad, and you're the only rock jock on the station. Everybody else is playing middle of the rouge, and it's just not working. That very night, I went up to tell Dewey, and who should walk in but Elvis? And he said, GK, why weren't you on there today? And I called him, he said, well, he said, you know, I said, uh, I told him, he said, what? Fad? He said, fad? He said, what's your, what kind of fad it is? I said, what you talking about? He said, you're going with me. I said, where are we going? He said, you're out of work. I said, yes, I'm fine. You're going to travel with me. And he said, what's your, what kind of fad it is? <laughs> he said, we're going all across America. We're going to Canada. We're going to Hawaii. We're going to Hollywood to make a movie called Jailhouse Rock, and you're riding with me. I said, oh, man, that was great. Because I didn't have anything to do, Mitch. I graduated from college, uh-huh. and I was out of work. <clears throat> so, you know, I was single. So and I started hanging with him, and we went on the road, and, and we did all that stuff. And I never, ever saw Torgerson after that. I used to remind, remind Jack Eaton about that. But uh, he later on became the Ole Miss play-by-play football guy. Uh-huh. So... uh so I did that, and then <clears throat> so I traveled with Elvis about a year and a half or so. I knew Elvis was getting ready to go in the Army, and so I knew that I had to get back into radio because there wasn't any future travel with Elvis, Mitch. You know, Colonel Parker had everything locked up, and you couldn't get close to Elvis management, even though I was living with him. I mean, you know, I just didn't have the experience to be a manager, assistant manager, mm-hmm. or front man or something, you know. And Elvis actually wanted me with him because all he had with him at that time was Gene Smith, his cousin, and Arthur Hooten, a guy from the neighborhood. So, his neighborhood. So, and we were, Mitch, we were going up Detroit, Chicago, Philly, uh, Cleveland. We were, man, on every, all, every, we hit every big city but New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, man, we were traveling. And then uh, I was, okay, GK, we're going out of Hollywood. And we went out to Hollywood, made Jailhouse Rock. Elvis goes in the Army, and I said, Elvis, I said, man, I said, uh, you know, this has been great traveling with you, man. It's been once a dream come true to uh, be a jock and travel with the biggest guy in rock and roll. I said, Elvis, I, I got I to have a career for myself. He said, oh, man, he said, I, I could tell that GK that she loved radio. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, I got to go in the Army. There'll be a place for you when I get out of the Army. I said, okay, Elvis. So he went in the Army. I'm skipping around because we did make King Creole. and went down on that. 
And then he went in the Army after King Creole. So anyway, <clears throat> I went in, got a job at WHHM. <clears throat> WHHM was a 250 water, but it was a hip station. Uh-huh. And uh started working there. And then uh, WH, in fact, Bill Grumbles eventually became the owner. And then Grumbles, something happened. And I, I was over there, and Jay Cook was over there, and Chuck Browning was over there. And John Froland was there. I mean, we had a hell of a staff. And, uh, but they didn't have the money to promote the station. And it was a hot little station, so they started letting people go. And they let me go from over there, but it wasn't because of anything I didn't do. It just almost was going to sell the station and uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. So I went over to HBQ because Jay Cook had already left. And he, he got, he heard what was going to happen. So he went over at HBQ and he got to on. And he called me and said, GK, we got to open it on the All Night Show. He said, why don't you come over and throw your hat in the ring? I said, okay. So I went over there, and here for sale hired me to do All Nights. And I, on WHBQ, I was going midnight to dawn. <clears throat> so I said, you know, this should be kind of fun. <clears throat> you ever done an All Night Show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the chicks call you like crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the girls start calling, and it's kind of fun, man. Uh-huh. They, they talk sex. You know how it goes. Right. So I was having a lot of fun. And I was learning, you know, really good equipment. And I was doing what would be there when I he get off at midnight. I come on at midnight, and uh, so it was kind of cool because Barndale was doing mornings, and there were some good jocks there, man. Uh, you know, Jack Parnell was there, Wink Martindale, and um, who else was there? Folan was there. John Folan was there again, uh-huh. and uh, I forget who else. But anyway, I I, I was doing midnights. So I went and told, told uh, Hugh Fussell, the PD, I said, Hugh, we were hot men. It was us and NPS, but we were beating their brains out. And we were red hot men because we had a hot staff, and, and HBQ was hot because of, of, uh, of uh, you know, the history, history of the station and uh-huh. all, and doing everything. So uh, that's right about the time they let Dewey go. And they told Dewey, we're going we're gonna to go more of a personality format station. And we don't think he fit, which was stupid. They should have kept Dewey on, still let him do a stick night at midnight. But so anyway, they let Dewey go, and he went with Little Rock for about a year, I think, or six months. Mm-hmm. And didn't like Little Rock, and came back, started working at a station in Millington, where I was. So <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> so I was working midnights, and finally they moved me up to nine to midnight, and then eventually, after about oh a year, they moved me up uh, six to nine. Mm-hmm. And that's when I caught fire, and and I had a I had a forty two share of the audience at night. Wow! Uh, from six to nine or six to ten, whatever time I was on, and I still got that right up somewhere on Pulse. It was Pulse at that time. Uh-huh. Had a forty two share, man. So I was red hot. <clears throat> DJ GK, you know, rocking HBQ. I didn't do the rhymes. Right. They told me I couldn't do rhymes unless just drop one in, you know, a catchy one. But I didn't do the rhymes, and and I got red hot. And then they came to me and they said, uh, Wink had already left and gone to Hollywood. And <clears throat> a guy named Ron Maroney uh, got got dance party. It was called Dance Party. And then Ron Maroney left and went somewhere, and Jay Cook got it. And mm-hmm. Jay was doing, he was doing afternoon drive, 3 to 6, and I was coming home working 6 to 9. And then Jay was doing, it was called, they, they called Jay in. They said, Jay, we're having to change the format from Dance Party to talent party and jay said why and they said well 
all this integration thing is starting to happen, and we just don't want to cause any problems, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, read between the lines. So <clears throat> Jay said, okay. So then Jay <clears throat> did that, and then uh, Jay told me one day, because I'd seen when he's going off here, I'd be coming on. And, and we I knew Jay from, you know, HHM days. So uh, he said, well, GK said, you know, he said, uh, I'm getting ready to leave. He said, I think I want to manage a station or be program director. And I said, oh, Jake, man. He said, yeah. And he said, also, TV is not my thing. He said, it's, it's kind of cool and all that to be on TV. He said, but he said, well, I said, what are you saying? He said, I said, they're going to open up an audition. They're going to open auditions only for the HBQ jocks for the talent party show. It was called Dan- Talent Party at that time. They'd only been changed to Talent Party all oh, about three months, you know. So I went and auditioned, got the show, and then <laughs> <laughs> the place went crazy when I got the talent party because I knew Mitch that the only see what they were doing at that time they had they had a remote it looked like a remote disc jockey standing in the, in the TV studio right and you're playing records then people come in you'd interview them and then uh, you'd have guests on and then you'd show some videos of acts you know the record companies would send you mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of a not happening show <clears throat> so I went in and I, I told him I said look I said Lance Russell at that time was a PD. And see, I, I left out the fact that I did some wrestling. I was his cohort. I was uh, I knew that I needed some TV experience when I was doing six to nine. And I said, Lance, if you ever have any openings over at uh, Red TV? He said, it just so happened, he said, uh, the guy's my sidekick on wrestling. He said, George is leaving. He said, uh, well, you want to do that? I said, sure. Because then, Mitch, I knew that I learned TV. I like angles, camera shots, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was a sidekick, and then when I left it, Dave Brown got it. <laughs> and then, of course, Dave Brown went on to big time in the weather locally, you know. So anyway, Dow uh, <clears throat> Party got rid of was, was was just there. It was, it, it was okay, but it wasn't happening. And so I went and I told, look, I said, Lance, I said, look, I said, I got an idea. He said, what? I said, this show ain't happening. I said, I'm doing, you know, what y'all want me to do, but I can just tell by the the feedback from the audiences and when I go out in the city and, you know, people not talking about the show. So he said, what's your idea? And I said, well, I said, Lance, I said, there's a whole lot of recording going on. Memphis had exploded recording-wise. There was stacks was happening, high records was happening, <clears throat> Sun was happening, Chips Moen was happening. Everybody was, you know, Scotty Moore just got tragedy on Thomas Wayne. <laughs> it was just happening. It exploded as a record place, a recording area, you know. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, what's your thoughts? And I said, well, I know all these guys because being on the radio, I hang out with them after I get off or they come to be on my radio show or the record labels are bringing them by. And I said, I know all these acts, man. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to bring him in and put him on TV on ta- and call on, since it's called Talent Party. <clears throat> and I said, <clears throat> we'll let them uh, lip sync their record. And I said, then we'll uh, interview him and we'll he'll be loaded up with good talent. He said, well, he said, George, he said, the only way we can do that is you got to have a big start, break, break the barrier. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we're scared that if you just bring in uh, uh, just a local African-American guy, he said that, that we may get some complaints, you know. So I knew where he was coming from, but I knew we wouldn't get any complaints. So anyway, Pat <laughs> Domino was coming to town. And uh, I, so I called the record label, 
because I knew the promo people. And I said, hey, Fats is coming in. Yeah, GK, what do you need? I said, well, man, I need him from a TV show. He'd be the first African-American to be on Memphis television, you know, on a music show like this. So let, well, let us talk to him. Well, they called me back, and they said, GK, they said, uh, Fats will talk to you, but he's not sure he wants to do TV. I said, okay. So I went down, and he was playing in the old auditorium. <laughs> Downtown Ellis Auditorium. Uh-huh. And I said, That's how you doing? Oh, what's up? You know, uh, he, he, we became buddies after that. He, he talked with that new, well, you worked in New Orleans. You know right. how to talk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, what, well, you know, that New Orleans African American uh, slang, you know. Uh-huh. Hey, watch up, my man. You know, get some barbecue when I get off there, you know. Uh-huh. You know, again, yeah, you know, New Orleans. I love, you know, and all that stuff. So, I said, that's I really need you for my TV show. And he said, well, George, I know you play my records. And I really appreciate that. He said, I do your radio. He said, but I don't do much TV, man. I don't do much TV. And I said, that's can I be straight with you? He said, yeah, what's up? I said, if you do my TV show, you'll be the first black on Memphis television to do a musical show like this. And I said, it'll break the barrier. It'll open the door for the other blacks. He said, I never forget what he said, Mitch. He said, let's go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so on the way, he said, I called a station, and I had the news crew, the TV. What way I did it was I called it. I had learned the, the, the program director of television that I may get fast domino. And I said, can you get the 10 o'clock news crew to stay over to film him if I get him? They said, yeah, GK, if you get him. But let us know so we don't have to pay these guys till midnight if you don't show up. I said, okay. So I made a quick call. I said, look, I got Fats. He's coming after the show night. We'll be down there. The newest goes off at 1030. We'll get there about 1030. Have a, a set set up Fats Domino. They said, okay. So he's Fats said, GK, I'll do your show on two conditions. I said, what's that, Fats? He said, you got to take me. I said, I'll do that. And he said, number two is, uh, he said, I got to have a little taste, man. <laughs> he was talking about whiskey, yeah. a drink. Yeah. And I said, Fats, you know, according to the FCC, man, we get in trouble having drinking in the studios, man. He said, well, got to have it. I said, okay. So I stopped at the liquor store now on Union Avenue on the way. And I said, what do you want? He told me, got a little pint of whiskey. And so I got to the station and I grabbed the program director or the producer. And I said, look, this has got to be a very secretive. He said, what? I said, Fats has got to have this in this little whiskey in the studio. I said, but we can put it under the piano and I'll get him a paper cup and nobody will see it. And between songs, he can take him a little sip, you know, a little lip there. I said, okay, GK. Well, because he's such a big star, we'll do that. He was a big star at that time. So well, we brought it in. Man, he did, he did not only two songs, he did four songs for me. And man, I couldn't wait to get him on the air. And when I got it on the air, it was all over, Mitch. Man, here comes Jackie Wilson. Here comes Sam Cook. Here comes James Brown. Here comes uh, Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Isaac Hayes. Man, I got ahead of man. Uh-huh. Then so then, then I knew that I'd been Shindig was hot at that time. So I was watch. You ever watch Shindig? Oh yeah, and Hollywood. Remember they had six great looking girl dancers. Right. Yeah. And, they, and man, they, they shook their heads and all had great figures and real good looking Hollywood girls. So I knew that I I was on the show, but I knew that I had to have something to draw the males in because the chicks were checking me out like crazy. Mm-hmm. So so <clears throat> I'm doing a remote show at uh, just at the Claridge Hotel, this thing called The Place. It's on Saturday afternoon, live on WHBQ Radio, noon to one, and where the kids would come downtown on Saturday afternoon. They'd come to the Variety Club, and they dance in from, and then we'd be on the air with them, and then they'd go home and they'd do a little shot. It was a big deal back in the day, Mitch. Kids come downtown on Saturday afternoon. 
so these two girls came up to me, really good looking, and they said, man, we love your show, man, but, but you got one thing missing. And they, I said, what's missing? And they said, man, you need to put some dance, girl dancers on there. And we're with, we're with the Charlotte Morgan Dance Studio. I said, man, I don't want no one, two, three kick shit. I said, I, said, I want something like them shindig dancers. I was like, we can do that. We can do that. What do you say our girls are in our group? I said, okay. I said, where are you located? They said, we're right near HBQ. We're down there near Park and Highland, Charlotte Morgan Dance Studio. I said, okay. I said, when are y'all there? And they said, they told me. I said, okay, one night I'm going to come by and look at y'all. I went by Mitchell one night during the next week and looked at them. I said, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, Mitch, they were all great looking. Uh, uh, one of them became Mrs. America later on. Uh, one of them was top ten Miss America. One of them was top ten Miss Tennessee. Two of them became Miss Memphis. You know, mm-hmm. and they they were and they were really good looking man. So <clears throat> I went back to the station and I told Lance Russell. I said, "Look, Lance, I said I want to duplicate the Shindig Dancers Home Talent Party." I said, "Goes, we need some good looking girls to draw the guys in to watch." He said, "What you got?" I told him. He said, well, "Let's give it a shot. It sounds interesting." He said, "What are we going to call him?" I said, "Well, I've come up with a catch name." He said, "What?" I said, it's a, word, it's a play on words. He said, well, what is it? I said, the WHB cuties. He said, oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> he said, "He said, well, get them down here. We got them down there. And, of course, the crew loved them because they were so great looking. And they were very friendly. They weren't stuck-up girls. They were very friendly. I mean, they weren't flirtatious or they weren't cheap. But they, you know, they were just friendly. They weren't, you know, uh, East Memphis highfalutin chicks. They were just regular chicks, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I put them on, man. And what I knew, Mitch was I had to get a current song into the show. If I say Because these guys were coming in, and they were lip-syncing their records. Well, some of them right. were old records, were hits a year ago, you know, uh-huh. or whatever. And, and then some of them were new, and the kids weren't used to them. So, I had to, so what we did, I'd get the hot record of the week, and I'd give them to the girls, and I'd give them to my producer, and I'd say, look, get the girls to dance to this record. That'll get current music into the show. And they got on the show, and shit, they, they became stars, man. Mm-hmm. You know, the little girls, they were great looking, and they were hanging out, and boy, the guys were chasing them. They loved it, you know. And that was the story of the WHB Cuties, and we did that show for 12 years, Talent Party. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then things started changing, et cetera, et cetera. When, when HBQ went down, I, uh, and all that went down, I went to work for, uh, <clears throat> I was at home one day, <clears throat> and Jerry Phillips, or Sam, uh, it was Jerry called me, and Sam Phillips' son, said, right. what you doing? I said, oh, I'm just chilling now, you know. Uh, HBQ will change, and, H- and the talent party went off the air, and he said, uh, we're putting in a station. You know, Sam hired you in Millington. I said, yeah. He said, he promised you if ever got anything in Memphis, he gave you a shot. I said, okay. So he was out there on Mount Moriah. That's when he was part- starting to put together all of his big stations, you know. And so he had to think. <clears throat> he said, we're going to name this station after Elvis, WLBS. He's going to call it, and we're going to play uh, country music, but it's going to be rock country instead of just regular you know, Webb Pierce stuff. And I said, okay. So I went and worked for Sam for a couple of years. And, uh, and then, uh, let me see, after that, that's, that's when George Flynn bought HBQ. Right. And then he uh, was going to call me, and he said, uh, he said, GK, I want to talk to you. Went, you know, he, he said, he's an unusual guy. Yes, Mitch, he is. You know? I work for him. Man. Yeah. Okay, well, you know how he is. Yeah. He liked me. but So anyway, <clears throat> he said, I'm going to put HBQ. But HBQ at that time was a, News Talk Sports Station, 
And he bought it. For, he stole that station. I mean, he gave a million dollars to RKO for that station. Mm -hmm. He got all the equipment. He got that land where the transmitter is out in Frazier. He really got a steal, man. Mm -hmm. So and he was renting the studios. They told him he could still stand in the, in the building for a while. So he converted those uh, whatever studios they had there to uh, studios. And so he hired me away from Sam. And uh, Well, let me ask you, I, I want to ask you an Elvis question. When you were traveling with Elvis and when he before he went into the service. Yeah. And then when he came back, I mean, how did how did the tremendous success affect him or did it? When he came back out of the army? Yeah. Uh, well, by that time, Mitch, he'd already made Jill House Rock. No, he made Let Me Tender, uh -huh. House Rock, and King Creek. He'd already done three movies. Right. He was a lot more polished and a lot more well-read. And he, had a, he, he would read a lot. Mm -hmm. And so when he came out of the Army, he was concerned, too, what would happen. Then he went out to Hollywood made that G.I. Blues, and hell, he was hit all over again. Right. And, and so then he stuck to movies. And uh, so he started doing those movies. He was getting like a million dollars up front, 50% of the picture, and now all the album music out of the movie was, was going to him and Colonel Parker. Mm -hmm. So they were doing, making a lot of money on those movies. And so he said, I'm going to do movies for a while. So he did, you know, a lot of movies. And then it was, what, 69, was it? Yeah, he went back on the road, right. 68, 69. Right. And it was a, he told Colonel, he said, Colonel, he said, uh, after we do this last movie, which I think was Charo or something. He said, let's let the movie contracts run. I said, I've done 33 movies, he said. <laughs> and he's 31 regular movies and two musical documentaries. And he said, I want to go back and <clears throat> live shows. And <clears throat> Colonel said, live shows? He said, yeah, I'm getting tired of this movie stuff. It's the same story, different, you know, location. Mm -hmm. He said, the music's not heavy. And he said, I want to get back in the mainstream. And get back into the mainstream he did with the NBC 1968 Comeback Special, which aired on December 3rd, 1968, and was a tremendous success. Then, in January of 1969, Elvis entered American Studios, 827 Thomas Street in Memphis, Tennessee, to record his first number one hit in seven years. Suspicious Minds. Make sure you're with me for the next Memphis Music interview, Memphis Music History, told from the inside, next Monday morning at 8.30 Memphis time. When George Klein talks about the station he worked for in L.A., Fats Domino, James Brown, and Rick Dees. I'm Mitch McCracken, and I hope to see you then.